You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. E-S-N-Y. <laughs> Episode 22 of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Honey. As always, of Elite Sports New York and the Elite Sports Radio Network. Coming to you live on a Monday night. A little past 8 o'clock. Monday, April 27th. Obviously, big news this past weekend as far as the draft is concerned. The virtual NFL draft, which I thought went great. A little weird. You know, a little different. But in these unfortunate times, it's what needed to be done. And I feel like the NFL really delivered pretty sure it was record-breaking ratings, at least the first night it was. Um, so we're going to be getting into uh, getting into some draft talk. Actually, the bulk of this episode will obviously be about the draft, considering the Giants made 10 picks, addressing a number of needs throughout the roster, making progress and fixing a number of problems throughout the roster and the team. So getting into that, um, and then actually going to speak a little bit about the Marcus Golden, the next step in the Marcus Golden New York Giants saga, which took place Monday night, um, just about a couple hours ago, or a little bit less than a couple hours ago right now as I record this. Uh, so we'll be getting into that and then closing it out for episode 22. Um, and yeah, then episode 23, I'll talk about what's going to be encompassed. After, at the end of this episode, I'll talk about what will be discussed in episode 23. But before that, Let's get into some draft talk. Obviously, 10 picks for the Giants, one in each round up until the seventh round, and then they had four picks in the seventh round, two of which were compensatory. One was via the Eli Apple trade from 2018. Um, And I understand the people that got carried away by the oohs and the ahs of Isaiah Simmons. Um, I don't understand if you wanted Derek Brown. Uh, I don't don't, don't understand. I I never understood that sort of narrative, but... I understand if you got overwhelmed by the oohs and the ahs of Isaiah Simmons. He's very good. He's going to be a very good, versatile... I wouldn't even call him a linebacker or a safety. i just call him an athlete. I mean, he's everything. He does it all. And he'll do great things for the Arizona Cardinals. But it was clear the Giants needed a left tackle. They needed... well. Uh, at least just an offensive tackle. Someone who could possibly play the right side and then eventually transition over to the left side if Nate Solder begins to struggle, which he probably will, considering he has for much of the last two seasons. The Giants needed an offensive tackle. Now, you could argue that they could have gone with and should have gone with Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs instead of Andrew Thomas. But at the end of the day, there wasn't that big of a gap 
uh, between any of the four top offensive tackle prospects. Uh, talking about Wills, Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Mekhi Becton, who went to the Jets. There really wasn't that big of a gap between them. A lot of people didn't think Thomas would was going to be the pick. You know, a lot of people were saying Wills or Wirfs to the Giants, or some I saw about one or two mock drafts that actually had Becton to the Giants. A lot of people weren't thinking Andrew Thomas when the draft arrived, when Thursday night came along, but he's officially a New York Giant. Well, not a fit. He's still got a sign, obviously, but he's going to be a New York Giant. And he is a solid tackle to have for the future. Unanimous All-American last year, two-time first two-time first-team All-SEC selection. He has experience at left tackle, and that's going to be huge for his future. They, as I said before, they're probably or likely going to start him at right tackle. But the long-term goal for Andrew Thomas is to play the left side, to play Daniel Jones's blind side. And he has experience doing that in college. He had experience doing that in college. Obviously, so did Becton. And so did Wills, considering Wills was a right tackle and Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama was a lefty. But I feel like that's the reason why they went with Thomas over Wirfs, because of that. Because Thomas has experience on the left side, which is going to be crucial for his future as a Giant. And Wirfs, Wirfs does have experience on the left side, but he's primarily a right tackle. Um... And like I said before, if you wanted Simmons, I understand. He's a great defensive asset. This this defense, like this offensive line, this Giants defense has also struggled for a number of years. But they needed to fix the offensive line. And they had to do it right here, right now. They have a young quarterback. They're gonna need to give the they're gonna need to give Daniel Jones as many tools and supports and the, the tools and support that he needs in order to develop effectively and efficiently. And for that to occur, they need a left tackle. They need a left tackle for the future. Nate Solder isn't the answer. Nick Gates, Cam Fleming, they're not the answer. Andrew Thomas may indeed be the answer. I mean, every single draft pick is a wait-and-see type of situation. You never know who's going to be a bust. You, you could have your takes. You could have your predictions. But you never really know who's going to be a bust and who's going to shine in this league. At least right now, you don't. But they needed a tackle, 100%. They needed to fix this offensive line. It was crucial. It was long overdue. You know, Giants fans are sick of these one-year plans at right tackle. You know, Chad Wheeler for 2018, Mike Remmers last year, and potentially Cam Fleming uh, in 2020. You know, he signed the one-year, obviously not now with Thomas coming in, but, you know, the Giants inked, Cam Fleming to a one-year deal, so it was kind of a here-we-go-again type of moment and type of feeling. They needed a tackle, 100%. Now, this next pick, the second-round pick, obviously, this is sort of a surprise to me. Now, I'll just say this. I have warmed up to a lot of the picks, but right as the picks happened, there were some I didn't agree with, but now that I've had a couple days to process all of this, I've definitely warmed up to a lot of these picks. One of the picks that caught me very much by surprise right away, round two, number 36 overall, 
Uh, Xavier McKinney, obviously, this is sort of this is a steal. I mean, he wasn't really supposed to drop to the second round. He was probably the best safety in this class. He could have been a first rounder. So it's definitely a high value pick. When you look at how this guy plays, you're going to start to get goosebumps thinking about a safety tandem, including him and Jabril Peppers. I mean, that is a whole lot of athleticism and versatility. He's going to start over Julian Love. It's 100%. Julian, they'll probably move Julian Love to compete at the slot corner spot. Uh, maybe they'll keep him as a reserve corner, and he'll probably... he. Who knows, if DeAndre Baker starts to struggle again, he may replace... There's a lot of different options you could use for Julian... A lot of different places you can field Julian Love. But the starting safety tandem is going to be Xavier McKinney and Jabril Peppers. At least at some point. Maybe not initially, but at least that's what's going to... What it's going to be at some point. But if I were the Giants, I would have taken... I was hoping for a center round number two. It's hoping for an edge rusher, um, who they didn't take until the seventh. They didn't take an edge rusher until the seventh round. But McKinney's a great player. He's going to improve this defense tremendously. His versatility, his athleticism are going to suit this defense well. And obviously, versatility is something that Joe Judge preaches. So, I mean, if they weren't going to get an edge rusher, if they maybe could have waited out on center then I've warmed up to this pick a whole lot. I think McKinney's a fantastic player. I think I think this was a steal. 100%. I mean, he's going to improve this defense, improve this secondary, which has obviously struggled mightily for three years at this point. Um, yeah, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I'm getting excited about it. A safety tandem of Peppers and McKinney. That is just a whole... That's a great deal of versatility right there and athleticism. But moving on, this pick, this next pick, it was another one that I didn't think was going to be made. But honestly, if you think about it, it's kind of... Matt Parrott out of UConn, offensive tackle. I mean, if he can develop effectively, he could become an absolute steal. Some some people are saying this is an absolute steal already. Um, He's not going to start right away like Thomas will. Uh, it'll be more of a developmental project. But, I mean, if he develops the right way and does it in a timely manner, he could become the starting right tackle, Thomas on the left side. And uh, I've watched film on this dude, and he absolutely absolutely stood out in college. Strong run blocker, has great lateral movement in pass blocking scenarios. Um, If he could become the starting right tackle while Thomas is on the blind side... I mean, there's your... That fixes a lot of the Giants' issues right then and there. I mean, the, a lot of the... The Giants' offensive issues has stemmed from the offensive line for much of the last four years. Basically starting with the Eric Flowers era. And even before that, to be honest. But if Parrott can develop effectively... If Thomas can be who we think he will be, then you, there you go. Then you then you have your bookend tackles. And that's what this team needed, 100%. So I thought it was a little weird that they picked tackle um, in the two of the first three picks, but it just it, it tells you something. Nate Solder is on his way out 
They don't want Nate Solder, at least after this contract is up. This current, he has two years left on his deal. He may be out after this year, and I think he will be. They want him out. They're leaning towards pushing him out. And once that happens, if Parrott's ready to go, then he's ready to go. And they, 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 you could possibly have your tackles for the future. Now, round number four is actually the pick that I didn't agree with much. UCLA corner, Darnay Holmes. I would have taken a center right here. The, this t- the Giants had three chances, basically, rounds two, three, and four, to take a center. To take a center. To take who I thought was going to be the guy, Tyler Beatish out of Wisconsin. Now, people had concerns of him because of multiple surgeries, but he won the Remington Trophy last year for the top center in the league, or top, excuse me, top center in the nation, rather. Um, the Giants had a chance to pick him round number four, pick number 110. You know, they need a center. Spencer Pulley is not the long-term option. Hal, uh, John Halapio's future is... You know, in doubt, considering the Achilles injury from last year. Um, and just him healthy really isn't the, an- isn't the answer either. He's not that, you know, he's not that great of an option. The Giants could have fixed, so they fixed their tackle issues, or hopefully making progress in fixing their tackle issues with Thomas and Parrott. If they picked Beatish, I mean, that would have set, that would have set the tone. It would have been, it would have been Gettleman saying, okay, we are here to fix this offensive line completely. We realize this offensive line is very much below average. It is time to fix this completely. They take two tackles in a center in their first four picks. It is, it's, a, it, it's a blessing. They need a center. And the fact that they, they didn't take, they didn't take, they didn't pull the trigger with this round four pick. And they said what, they instead went with a corner who's probably just going to be a reserve corner. Darnay Holmes is probably just going to compete for the slot corner job, and who knows if he'll win that. They didn't need Holmes. They didn't need another corner. Obviously, I always preach depth at corner, but they could have gotten a corner later on, and they did get another corner later on. I think this was the pick to get Beatish, and the fact that they... I, I don't like the fact that they passed up on him. I understand there are concerns because of his health, the surgeries, but he's, I think he's going to be, as he, obviously the Cowboys picked him because of course, I think he's going to be a steal for the Cowboys, I think he's going to be great in this league, I think he has the athleticism, the strength to succeed uh, in this league as a center, I would have taken him right here um, in the fourth round, fix the, fix all the offensive line problems right then and there. Um... But then in round five, the Giants picked Oregon guard Shane Lemieux. Now they may move him to center. There's talk about maybe having him try out at center. Obviously, I don't think anybody really thinks Spencer Pulley is going to be the long-term starter, so they're, they're, the Giants are weighing other options. Talking about you know maybe possibly Nick Gates working out at center. Now they're talking about this kid Lemieux starting at center. Now I think if it worked out, if if Lemieux can step up and play the center position correctly, do it. But and I've watched film with this kid. He's a strong kid. He's durable. He started all 52 games for Oregon over his four-year collegiate career. 
but he started all 52 of those games at left guard. So, it's very tough to go from guard to center. It's even tougher when you've spent four years at the guard spot. Now you go to the next level, and they want you to switch to center? I mean, if it all works out, do it. If it's going to fix the issue at center, then do it. But I'm saying doing something like that could very much backfire. It could hinder his development, too. I just, I, I don't see, I don't know why you take, you why you wouldn't just take a center in the fourth round and instead then take a guard in the fifth and try to convert him. To, I, I just don't see the logic in that. But it's a wait and see type of situation. Maybe it works out. Maybe they, you know, they try it out in training camp and preseason and whenever that occurs, to be honest. Um, you know, try it out then and there and see if it works out, then go ahead. Shane Lemieux is your starting center. Now, I don't think they'll, if even if it, even if he succeeds at center in training camp, I don't think they'd start him right away. I think he's like Parrot. He's another developmental project. But down the line, if he's good, if if he can play the center position correctly, then do it. But they just got to be careful that that's not going to backfire on them. It's tough to switch. It's even tougher when you've played fifty-two games at one position and you're trying to switch. It's just not. It's risky. It's definitely risky. Um, and then the last five, so the last five picks, so basically the offensive line was sort of the name of the game for the Giants in the first five picks, you know, three out of the first five picks were offensive linemen, and then the final five picks were just straight defense across the board. Cam Brown in the sixth round, Penn State linebacker, and then the seventh round, uh, Minnesota edge, edge rusher Carter Coughlin. South Carolina linebacker T.J. Brunson, Minnesota corner Chris Williamson, and then Georgia linebacker Tay Crowder, who was Mr. Irrelevant. Um, Cam Brown is another one I watched film of. He's versatile, which is obviously obviously going to sit well, is going to sit well with Joe Judge. Um, Judge loves versatility. You know, it gives the it gives the team flexibility as far as the scenarios and different situations they can put that player in. Uh, Cam Brown, I, he, he can play as an off-ball linebacker. He can play more out out as like an edge rusher. Um, or he can actually line up on the receiver as more of a slot corner or even as just a corner. You know, he's versatile. He's athletic. Um, I think that's going to help them help the Giants out a whole lot. Um, he'll be playing alongside uh, Grant Haley, who was obviously another uh, Penn State Nittany Lion uh, back in the day. <laughs> um his last year there was 2017, obviously. And then, I don't know if this, if he's, if Carter Coughlin, you never know if these guys are going to end up making the team. But Carter Coughlin, I mean, this, this is a guy, it's crazy that some of these guys go this late. I mean, Carter Coughlin was a two-time second team All-Big Ten. I mean, say what you want, yeah, it's a second team, whatever. But I mean, it's still the second best player at that position in the Big Ten. I know it's edge rusher, so there may be two. So you, you can make the argument it's the third best player, third best edge rusher in the Big Ten. Twice. I mean, that's a big deal. Obviously, Minnesota's a good football school. They've be, they've become very good the last couple of years. But, you know, it's not an Ohio State. 
It's not a Penn State. It's not a Michigan State. It's not a Michigan. You know, the fact that this guy was playing for a program like Minnesota and two-time second-team All-Big Ten is very impressive. He's another guy that's very versatile. He can rush the quarterback. He can drop back in coverage. He can do a lot. And if... I think it's tough to say right now if these guys make the team, but if Carter Coughlin impresses his coaching staff, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if that's like a sleeper. You know, it's a guy that people sleep on initially, and that he sort of climbs up the depth chart as the year progresses. You know, you still don't know. We'll get to it in, in a minute, but you still don't know the future of Marcus Golden. And then, as far as the other edge rushers, you know, Kyler Fackrell is more of an edge rusher, but he's inconsistent. He had ten and a half sacks two years ago, and then last year he had one. Pretty sure he had twelve tackles for loss two seasons ago, and then just I think two last year, if I'm correct. And then Lorenzo Carter isn't exactly consistent either. He's only had eight and a half sacks in his first two years. He only jumped from four to four and a half sacks from 2018 to 2019. So who knows if if they if they're if Fackrell's and uh, Lorenzo Carter's consistency cons- consistency related issues stay afloat, then who knows really? Maybe Coffin will climb up the depth charts. But before that can even happen, he's got to stand out to this coaching staff. He's got to impress these coaches. Um, and that's sort of the name of the game for these late round picks. They have to catch the eyes of the coaching of the coaches. Especially their position coaches. They gotta do something to stand out. If Carter Coffin can do something to stand out, then who knows? Who knows the future? Um, and then the last three picks of the seventh round. Um these are all pure depth options. Uh, South Carolina linebacker TJ Brunson is more of a run stopper. He'll provide depth behind Blake Martinez, David Mayo, Ryan Connolly. Um, 77 total tackles for South Carolina last year. Uh, Williamson is obvi- he's a, uh, versatile. <clears throat> he's another guy that's versatile. That seems to be a theme in this draft. Uh, versatile corner who can he can hit, he can rush the passer. Uh, 56 total tackles for Minnesota last year. Four tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. He will compete possibly at the slot corner position. And then um, Crowder is more of a run stopper. 62 total tackles for Georgia last year. So my final remarks on this, it's... As I said, I've warmed up to a lot of the picks. I would have done stuff... I would have done some stuff differently. Um, If you really wanted to fix the center issue, I would have taken a center instead of Holmes in the fourth round. Um, Instead of taking a guard in the fifth and then possibly then trying to make him a center. And uh, I think I would have taken an edge rusher earlier. You know, possibly there were some names floating around. You know, Julian Aquara, uh, AJ Epineza was another one from Iowa. Um, Curtis Weaver from Boise State. Uh, pretty sure he broke the record, the Mountain West record for career sacks. Um, he went in the fifth round, I believe, to Miami, I think. So there were some names, some edge rushers that floated around, and it's it's. I'm surprised the Giants didn't jump on one of them. You know, that's, that's a big reason for why the secondary has struggled. It's because the pass rushers struggled. No corner, no defensive back in this league is going to be able to cover someone for 10 seconds. 
So if the quarterback has 10 seconds to throw, he's going to find someone sooner or later. If the Giants, if you don't get any pressure on the quarterback and he has so much time to make throws, he's going to make throws. You know, the last two years, everyone talks about all the, you know, secondary is this, secondary is that. The Giants had, what, 30 sacks in 2018, which is tied for second to last. They only had 36 36 sacks last year, which was, I think, 23, I think 23rd in, in the league, 22nd, somewhere around that range. I mean, they have not gotten any production, really, in that area of the defense. It starts with the pass rush. You have to get in the quarterback's face. You have to hurry the quarterback into making the bad throws. That's why I'm surprised the Giants didn't pick up an edge rusher at some point. I mean, they did, but I'm surprised they waited into the seventh round to do so. Um, Maybe they thought the offensive line issues were more important. I I guess I would say that as well. Um, so maybe that factored into it. Maybe they wanted to get the offensive line issues done earlier and then try to look for an edge. But, um, you know, I'm not... There's a reason I'm not running the front office. I'm just talking about it. So they make the decisions. I just I just talk about it. And I, I would have gotten an edge rusher earlier, maybe a center instead of Holmes in the fourth round. But that's just me. But overall, I think, I've, I think Gettleman did a great job for the most part. I mean, he needed to address the offensive line. He did that with three of the first five picks. And down the line, if things work out, if Lemieux moves to center and it works out, if Parrott develops effectively, if you know, if Andrew Thomas is as good as we think he might be, you're possibly looking at an offensive line that includes, from left to right, Andrew Thomas, Will Hernandez, um, Shane Lemieux, Kevin Zeitler, Matt Parrott. I mean, that's a lot. That seems, if everything works out, that seems a lot better than you know, Nate Solder and Spencer Pulley and Mike Remmers. It's, I think that when it comes to addressing the offensive line, uh, I think they did a great job in this draft. And um, it'll be interesting to see one of the position battles because of all this that's going to be interesting to watch and sort of follow is the uh, slot corner, the nickel corner spot. Um, you know, Julian Love, Corey Ballantine is going to be competing for that spot. Grant Haley... Uh, Chris Williamson, who they drafted, and Darnay Holmes. I mean, these guys are all going to be competing for that one spot. Likely. I mean, who knows with Julian Love? Who knows if they'll start Julian Love at free safety and then have McKinney develop behind him? I don't know if that'll be the case. I think McKinney may... I I actually think McKinney may start right away, which should have Julian Love go over to uh, nickel corner. Um, So... Who know, I'm, but who knows right now? I mean, that's a question to be answered later. Um, but right now, you're looking at a Love, Ballantine, Haley, Chris Williamson, Darnay Holmes um, position battle. And you'd think they have to play Holmes at some point. You know, Williamson may not even make the team, but you'd think they'd have to play Holmes at some point. I mean, f- fourth round, he's going he's gonna to play at some point. I mean, Julian Love started five games last year as a, as a fourth rounder. You know, granted, it took a Jabril Peppers injury to happen, but he still he, he started five games, and basically played a whole lot in that game that Peppers got hurt in, in the uh, loss to the Bears. So, it'll be interesting to see that. Um, I think they're going to play. They'll probably play Ballantine and Haley a good amount, considering they did last year, despite the fact that they struggled. 
this is going to be a this nickel corner slide nickel corner spot excuse me is going to be something to really hone in on once training camp and preseason arrives um when they do eventually now lastly before i sign off the marcus golden news um obviously he hasn't signed with any team uh the giants or any team for that matter um he's an unrestricted free agent 10 sacks for the giants last year uh led the team first giants linebacker to have uh, double-digit sacks in a season since Lawrence Taylor did it in 1990. First giant period to have double-digit sacks in a season since Jason Pierre-Paul in 2014. And it was getting to be very doubtful that he would come back to the Giants. You know, as time went on, it's been over a month at this point since the free agency period started. But then on Monday, we found out some new news in the Giants' Marcus Golden saga. The Giants have placed the rare unrestricted free agent tender on him. Basically what that means is that if Golden doesn't sign with another team by July 22nd, he has to play for the Giants in 2020 on a one-year deal that will reportedly be around $4.1 million. Now if he does leave, if he does sign with another team prior to July 22nd, he would count towards a compensatory pick formula. So that could actually force teams to sort of shy away from signing him because he would count towards their compensatory pick formulas. So this is basically the Giants saying, we would like you to play for us. It'd be cool if you were to play for us, but we don't feel like we want you, we don't feel as if we want to pay you a significant amount of money. And if this works, if Golden doesn't sign anywhere else and the Giants could have him on the team for $4.1 million in 2020, I mean, that's a great move. That's a great deal. I mean, this guy stood out on a struggling defense last year. Uh, Ten sacks. uh, Obviously led the team. He was basically their only consistent pass rusher. And if they can get him for just $4.1 million when he reportedly wanted $10 million at one point, I mean, that's, that's that's a great deal for the Giants. I mean, time will only tell if he actually does resign somewhere or is able to come back to the Giants. But if he doesn't sign elsewhere and he's a Giant, I mean, that's that's nothing but great for this team. He would be a very cheap but productive option in 2020. And if he's around for just one more season, he could possibly mentor Carter Coughlin. If Carter Coughlin made the team, maybe he could learn a lot from Marcus Golden, um, who's had success in this league. He had 12 and a half sacks a couple years ago with the Arizona Cardinals. I believe 12 and a half, if not... Uh, 12 and um, yeah he had success last year with this team yeah 12 and a half sacks with the Cardinals in 2016 and then 10 sacks last year so he's had success and if he could continue that success for you know just one more one more year in 2020 on a 4.1 million dollar deal you know then maybe the Giants pay him a significant amount of money for 2021 or if he if he's gone after 2020, then he, you know, you still you still got a year's a year's worth of production out of him for a cheap price, and he could mentor the young linebackers such as Carter Coughlin, such as you know Cam Brown, if he were to, you know, be in more of an edge rusher role. I don't know if he will be. I think he'll be more of a, a reserve inside linebacker role, 
But you never know. I mean, if they... I think this is a great move by the Giants. It's a rare move. Teams really don't use the unrestricted free agent tender much. And uh, I think this, this could really work out for the team. But on that note, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in to episode 22 of the Wide Right Podcast. Um, episode 23, I'll probably be getting into some of the undrafted free agent signings. There are a bunch um, this past weekend, actually right after the draft. started right after the draft ended, the, un- the um, undrafted free agent signings. Uh, Giants actually signed a receiver from Canada who's six foot seven, two thirty seven. Um, so I mean that's awesome. Uh, that's definitely magnificent, magnificent size for a receiver. Uh, Daniel Jones needs a tall receiver, and who knows? Maybe he impresses the coaching staff greatly, and he ends up making the team. I mean, who, you know, Grant Haley is an unrestri- is a unsigned, undrafted free agent. Victor Cruz was an undrafted free agent. So, we'll get into that possibly next week. But, alright, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, uh, this is Ryan Honey from Elite Sports New York. Follow me on Twitter, at Ryan Honey. That's at Ryan Honey, E-S-N-Y. And I'll talk to you guys soon.